Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Well, fancy meeting you here. You're back for what is now the third episode in a month-long series on exploring attachment. Today, we're going to look a little more closely at secure attachment. If you keep coming back, we'll explore insecure attachment, including disorganized attachment, and then we'll wrap up the month with a look at how attachment changes. I'm Robin Goebel, and welcome to the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate that for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who have experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast 36 episodes ago now, 35 episodes. Y'all, I'm not even sure what podcast episode this is. Sorry. And I've actually recorded three more episodes than that, even because of the few bonus episodes I've been releasing. But I started this podcast to get you free and accessible support as fast as possible. So what that means is the podcast just isn't very fancy. I don't do hardly any editing. Sometimes you'll hear a -a cock-a-doodle-doo in the background. Who knows what could happen? (laughs) If you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share with your friends and colleagues. Be sure, of course, to head over to robingobel.com to discover all the free resources I have for you, which includes a free 45-minute masterclass on the three questions we should ask ourselves when faced with challenging behavior in our kids. Is this child regulated, connected, or feeling safe? You can grab that 45-minute masterclass at robingobel.com slash masterclass. And while you're there, poke around and discover all the free resources available. And of course, be sure to check out the club, which is a virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma and the professionals who support them. A member of the club who also works for supporting adoptive families recently wrote to me and said, I've been working with families adopting kids with trauma for almost 10 years, and the club is the best thing I've seen in this community to get families access to the practical tools that they need to parent their kids, but even more importantly, to help them feel seen, loved, and supported by a community that truly understands their challenges and struggles. What you are building is nothing short of amazing. Well, that was the best testimonial for all sorts of reasons, but especially because that's really exactly what I set out 
to do practical tools, but even more importantly, helping parents, families, caregivers, professionals feel seen, loved, and supported because y'all, that is what changes the brain. And when parents feel seen, loved, and supported, their brain changes and their brain shifts more towards integration. And you know what happens when our brain changes and we're more integrated? We parent our kids the way that we want to parent them. We parent them in a way that connects with our values and our ideals about parenting. So that is my primary focus, seen, felt, known, loved, supported, because that's what changes brains. The club opens for new members approximately every three months. So snag yourself a spot on the waiting list and you'll be the first to know when it opens. If you love this podcast, I'd be so, so, so grateful if you left a review. The first review I received about the podcast said that the podcast was changing their family. So a user named Dart Bean, which is a fabulous username, by the way, went on to say, I highly recommend this podcast to anyone working with children who've experienced trauma. I've suggested it to all my friends who are foster and adoptive parents. Truly, any parent would benefit from Robin's voice in their ear. It will help you parent your children from a place of seeing their true needs, as well as provide you with tools for self-compassion, which is so necessary in this hard work. Dart Bean, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm especially grateful that my message of self-compassion is being heard. When you all leave reviews, it increases the chances that more people will find the podcast. And then we are just one step closer to everyone in the whole world understanding the neurobiology of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human. All right, so here we are looking at attachments again, and we're going to do this all throughout the month of June. I think that one of the most striking, awe-inspiring, and honestly, extremely overwhelming pieces of research to emerge from attachment research is that 85% of the time, a child's attachment experience will parallel the working model of attachment of the principal person caring for them. So that was a statement made by researcher Eric Hesse, who made this statement based on all of his research and observation and analysis of his research, like what they found in doing attachment research. So what that means is that 85% of the time, kids have the same inner working model with regards to attachment. So that's secure attachment, insecure, anxious, insecure, avoidant, disorganized attachment as the primary person caring for them. In the world of research, 85% is a huge correlation, huge, huge, huge. It is very relevant and eye-opening. It sends this message of like, whoa, pay attention. There's something here. There's something here in this data that almost certainly wasn't an accident. So since this is true, that our kids are very much likely to develop the same attachment style as we have, it makes sense for us to first look at what secure attachment means in adults. If you're new here and you haven't heard the previous episode, 
on this series on attachment, which I think I called the basics of attachment or back to basics or something like that. You might want to head back and listen to that one first, or at least when this one is over, go back in your podcast player and listen to the episode prior to this one. And then the episode prior to the prior one, so two episodes ago, was when I interviewed Bethany Saltman, who was the author, who is the author of Strange Situation, a memoir about her experience exploring the science of attachment slash like a biography even on Mary Ainsworth, who was extremely important in the origins of attachment theory. So if you haven't listened to those yet, you're going to want to go back either now or when this episode is over. So because this is a podcast and not a research paper, I'm going to just summarize and put into normal language some of what we know about adults who have inner worlds that are organized in a way that we would describe them as having secure attachment. So generally speaking, adults with secure attachment have many or even most of these five characteristics. And y'all, there's way more than just five characteristics. These are just the ones I'm going to talk about today. So the first characteristic that adults with inner world organized in a way that we would describe as secure attachment, I know that's a really clunky way to say that, but I actually think it matters to think about attachment as the way our inner worlds have organized, as opposed to just saying adults with secure attachment. But one of the characteristics that adults who have inner worlds organized in a way that we would describe as secure attachment is X-ray vision goggles. That's what I call them. If I was maybe more of an academic or just a little bit more refined, or maybe if I just didn't spend my entire career working with children, I might call these X-ray visions, quote unquote, reflective functioning. So reflective functioning is well-researched and identified and defined in attachment theory and research. But what adults with reflective functioning or adults with good x-ray vision goggles have is the ability to stay, to look past behavior and to stay really curious about what's going on inside their child that is leading to that behavior. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and that I want you to listen to in this specific order. And I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. RobinGobel.com slash start here. So they can see the behavior like a cue or a clue, which y'all, we talk about that on this podcast all the time, right? Like the behavior is just 
information about what's happening on the child's inner world, right? So it's just what we can see. So this is an easier skill for adults with secure attachment to be able to see past behaviors. They're really curious about what's going on inside that is leading to that behavior. They also have the ability to recognize that their own unique history and experiences impacts how they see their child and their child's behavior. So basically they have like x-ray vision into both their child and themselves and are able to understand that the their own experiences color the way they see everything, including their child. We talked about this in the interview that I did with Marshall Lyles. So if this is a topic that piques your interest, you might want to kind of scroll back and find that interview with Marshall Lyles. Marshall is so brilliant at talking about these x-ray vision goggles. Okay. So that was one of the characteristics of an adult whose inner world is organized in a way that we would describe as secure attachment. The second characteristic we're going to talk about is emotion regulation. And while certainly no human, regardless of their attachment style is regulated, emotionally regulated all the time, definitely not. Adults with secure attachment have a pretty wide capacity for their ability to stay regulated in the face of their child's dysregulation. Now, this is super important because of a crying baby who has like a nervous system of dysregulation always created significant dysregulation in their caregiver the baby wouldn't get soothed, right? So a securely attached adult can, I mean, at least part of the time, notice their child's dysregulation, make meaning out of it. Like, um, my baby is crying and needs help. I need to soothe them. And then they can stay regulated themselves in order to be able to soothe and provide the co-regulation that the child needs. So that adult kind of maintains this ability to keep a foot in both worlds, a foot in, oh, my child is dysregulated and needs help. And I can feel it enough that it matters to me. If I couldn't feel it at all, it wouldn't matter to me. I wouldn't do anything about it, but I can feel their dysregulation enough that it matters to me. But I can stay, um, you know, I can stay regulated enough myself that I don't get flooded by their dysregulation, get dysregulated myself, because then, of course, a dysregulated adult is never very effective at soothing a dysregulated child. So number two, emotion regulation. Number three in the characteristics we're going to talk about today is responsiveness. Adults with secure attachment can respond to what is like actually really happening in the moment in front of them and adjust accordingly based on what happens in the very next moment. So the brain is an anticipation organ. Like the brain is always attempting to anticipate what happens next. And there's some mental flexibility and adults with secure attachment and their ability to, yes, anticipate what's about to happen next. And maybe that's right. And maybe that's wrong. And if they were wrong in what they anticipated, what was about to happen next, they can adjust. They can be flexible and sort of shift to like, oh, well, X happened instead of Y. And then they make new anticipations based on what really happened instead of just 
what they were expecting to happen. This makes adult and secure attachment pretty good at the dance of relationships or like the serve and return of relationships that like, you know, even if we looked at like physical serve and return, if I was playing tennis with somebody and I was only focused on my own experience that I, you know, when I hit the ball in this one way, it was my anticipation. It was going to get hit back to me in another way. And therefore I was only going to be prepared to hit the ball again. If it came back to me in the way I was expecting, well, that would make me a terrible tennis player, which in fact I am, but I don't think it has to do with this. Exactly. I just have really poor hand eye coordination, but if I want to be successful at playing like a game of serve and return, like literally tennis in my office with kids, I play lots and lots of balloon volleyball, which is kind of like tennis. I mean, it's, you know, got a lot of serve and return going on. So if I want to be good at that, I want to hang in that game and honestly have it be fun. I need to be able to make moment by moment adjustments based on what actually happens. How does that ball, how does that tennis ball get served back to me? Or how does that balloon come back to me? Which is very likely not going to be in exactly the way I was expecting it. And so I have to be able to adjust to it and then volley it back, volley back what I'm given instead of what I'm expecting to be given. Okay. So that's responsiveness, having that ability to kind of dance in the relationship and adjust to the serve and return. The fourth characteristic is flexibility that adults with secure attachment have some flexibility in their nervous systems, which allows them to be pretty good at providing structure and predictability for their kids and in their family and in their relationships and even for themselves, yet comfortable veering off of it when necessary. So this is similar, of course, to the responsiveness. These two work together, this responsiveness and, and flexibility that Adults with secure attachment are good at and understand the importance of structure and predictability. Yet inside that structure and predictability, there is flexibility and the flexibility and ease that allows us to kind of shift and change as needed while staying inside our window of tolerance, right? That like when things don't go the way that we were planned, you know, that's stressful. So an adult with a nice wide window of tolerance and a history of, you know, predominantly experiences of secure attachment or a secure state of mind, we we, we could say, an inner world that's organized in a way, right, that we would describe as secure attachment has the flexibility. They can adjust to those unexpected moments and stressors while staying inside their window of tolerance. And then the fifth characteristic we're going to talk about today about adults with secure attachment. And again, I'm not even kind of attempting to say like, this is an all-inclusive list. Not at all. There's just the ones that I'm talking about today. The fifth characteristic is that adults with secure attachment have the capacity for relationship repair. And this is so, so, so important. I mean, this might be one of my favorite things to emerge from attachment research is that nobody, no caregiver, no, no, nobody is perfect. Right. And secure attachment actually doesn't come from an adult who meets their child's needs all the time. 
right? Secure attachment is actually largely born out of the times when a caregiver initiates a repair with their child after they've had some sort of rupture. Adults with secure attachment can see that the rupture has occurred, right? And then can stay regulated enough through the vulnerability of acknowledging that rupture, humble enough to offer the repair, yet strong enough to remain the child's secure base. I mean, y'all, we've talked about this on the podcast. Like none of us are perfect parents. Perfect parenting isn't even ideal. Imperfect parenting is, is first of all, that's just what it is. Um, so there's really no reason to, to try to do anything else because it's not even possible. But it is in the moments of imperfect parenting. It's in the moments of falling out of attunement with our kids or doing something that we would call messing up or regretting. And then noticing the impact that that behavior that we had did had on our kids, that that impact matters to us, right? I, oh, I've hurt my child. I've hurt their feelings. This child's, you know, really been hurt by the way that I behaved. I notice it. It matters to me. And then I can tolerate the vulnerability of coming back and saying, oh, buddy, I'm sorry that happened. That never should have happened. You know, something like that. That is probably one of the most important pieces in secure attachment. And if we really got nitty gritty at what it means to be the child of an adult who has the capacity for repair, what that means is as the child, I'm experiencing being seen first. Oh, you see me, you feel that we're off. You know the difference between being attuned and misattuned with me. It matters to you. And you are willing to initiate something that helps us get reconnected. I matter to you that much that you're willing to figure out a way to help us get back in touch with one another. And that is such a profound experience for a child to have. So I think when you look at it that way, it makes perfect sense why an adult who has the capacity for repair is that fifth characteristic that I'm talking about this morning. So just as a quick, quick review, those five characteristics I just talked about was one x-ray vision goggles, two emotion regulation, three responsiveness, four flexibility, and five, the capacity for repair. Adults with secure attachment read their kids' cues, stay present, engaged, and regulated, even when their child is dysregulated and distressed, right? And then they can provide the soothing that their child needs in order for them to fall back into regulation. Adults with secure attachment are intuitively perceptive also on when to step in and help a struggling child and when to allow the child to experience some stress. So an example that easily comes to mind for me, maybe based on just the memories I have of parenting my own child, but also of thinking about doing therapy with kids in the playroom when a really young child is struggling to do something, you know, figure out how to put a puzzle together, uh, figure out how to use scissors, open a drawer that's particularly sticky and isn't opening. I have a lot of memories of that happening in my, in my playroom with like the arts and crafts drawers where they were, they were stored, right? An adult with a state of mind that resembles secure attachment is witnessing that struggle, right? Encourages 
the child's ability to manage that struggle, right? So it doesn't rush in immediately, doesn't immediately alleviate that child's struggle, but also it, it kind of intuitively knows like when that child becomes so distressed or is struggling so much that it's time to step in. So thinking about like the puzzle example, right? Like if I'm watching a toddler do a puzzle and, you know, I want to let them struggle. I want to let them like figure out like, oh, it doesn't go here. Oh, it doesn't go here. Oh, it doesn't go here. And eventually that struggle starts to cause some frustration because it's frustrating to get something wrong over and over and over again and not have it like go the way you're expecting to, which would be to like, the puzzle piece to go in perfectly, right? So as that happens more repeatedly, some frustration and struggle continues to kind of escalate in the child. And as a caregiver with a history of, you know, predominantly experiences of secure attachment, I have this kind of intuitive sense about knowing like how long that struggle is good for the child. And then I kind of have this intuitive sense of when is it time to step in and maybe, you know, adjust that puzzle piece and slightly to increase the child's chances of finding exactly how it goes in, but just do something to kind of ease the struggle a little, because there's not a lot of learning that takes place once we're totally blown out outside our window of tolerance. But we do need to have like a little stress and a little frustration in our nervous systems to learn and grow. And so if I, as an adult, have a neurobiology of secure attachment, that is pretty intuitive, right? I don't have to think a ton about, oh, this, this struggle is useful for my child. Oh, I think this struggle just became not useful for my child anymore. Now you're, you're, you're noticing also that I'm, I'm using some words like intuitively and, and really what I want to say about that is that we, if we came to adulthood without predominantly experiences of secure attachment, we can learn these things. And then maybe we do have to think through more deliberately, how much should I allow my child to struggle with this puzzle piece before I step in and intervene? And it doesn't necessarily come, you know, really easily and innately from this very intuitive place, but that's okay too. We can learn some of these, you know, these different ways of being with our kids. And that not only helps lay the foundation for secure attachment with themselves, but it also is, you know, making steps towards what the researchers call the quote unquote earned security with ourselves. Okay. So then babies who have caregivers with inner worlds that are organized in a way that we would call securely attached, those babies, you know, become kids and ultimately adults with what we would label secure attachment. And they have characteristics of, and again, this is not an inclusive list, but these babies have, and eventually children become adults who also have characteristics of emotion regulation. That's age appropriate, of course. Empathy, insight, distress tolerance, impulse control, relational repair. So again, this is just a really short list and uh, largely borrowed from Dan Siegel's research on the relationship between 
brain integration and secure attachment. There's a lot of characteristics that we could bullet point out and list and talk about with, you know, about kids with secure attachment, but those are just the six that I've, you know, bulleted out here, emotion, regulation, empathy, insight, distress, tolerance, impulse control, relational repair. Do you remember last episode, the previous podcast about, you know, kind of back to basics and attachment? I talked about how a child's inner working model is born out of their attachment experiences. So kids with secure attachment have inner working models that include statements that sound like, I'm a good kid who sometimes struggles. I can use my voice to get the help that I need. People are generally good. People will respond to my voice and help me. Generally speaking, the world is a mostly safe and good place that I can figure out. When things aren't safe, other people will help me. It's okay to be vulnerable and trust others. When other people do hurt me, they care enough to make a repair. Our relationship will be okay. Now I've known I've I know I've given you a lot of like bullet points and lists in today's episode. You can head over to my blog. And there is a corresponding blog article that is much more thorough than even what I'm going to put in the show notes. You can so go to robingobel.com/blog. You'll look for this secure attachment article. On my blog it's going to be labeled article 2 of 6 in this attachment series. So head over there and you can find a blog article and then it will have all these bullet points that'll help you remember everything that I've talked about. You can even send it to somebody if you want to, especially if that somebody isn't really a podcast listener. Okay. So that's a great place because I, you probably are like, I don't, I'm not going to remember any of this or all these bullet lists. Yeah. So head to, oh, head over to my blog for that. So if you think about the bullet list, I just gave you about the inner working models of kids with secure attachment, you can probably imagine then what the inner working model of children with insecure attachment might be, or in what ways they might be different. We're going to explore that more thoroughly next week, the inner working models of kids with experiences of insecure attachment, but I imagine that you can already begin to consider how these inner working models, which again, I remember are completely implicit and out of awareness. This inner working model is like the, the colored lenses that we have on that color, how we see everything. We don't even know we have them on, right? These inner working models, of course, have a pretty significant impact on behavior. If I believe I'm a good kid who sometimes struggles that changes my behavior from a kid who believes I'm a bad kid. At my core, I'm bad. I have bad behavior because I'm bad. That greatly impacts children's behaviors then when they're working from these two different kinds of inner working models. So as the series unfolds, we'll be able to see more clearly how behaviors emerge from these different places of attachment. And then we'll be able to eventually see what are some of the things that we could do to start beginning to kind of heal and integrate and move towards more security and attachment and more security in these inner working models, right? Because I think we can all agree 
that inner working model of I'm a good kid who sometimes struggles. And when I do struggle and there's a relationship repair, we can figure that out. You know, we can repair that relationship and our relationship is going to be okay. Right. Like that's an inner working model that will take somebody so far in their relational world, as opposed to an inner working model of I'm a bad kid and I have bad behavior simply because I'm bad. Okay. So that's where we're going to start next week. We're going to start with looking at insecure, anxious attachment, which is sometimes called insecure ambivalent. And then we'll move into insecure avoidant next week. As a reminder, throughout the entire month of June, I'm going to be blogging and podcasting all about attachment. We started with my interview with Bethany Saltman and then moved into just getting back to basics. What is attachment? What's secure versus insecure? Why does it matter? And how does attachment develop? And then of course, ultimately, how do we change it? If you haven't already hit subscribe to this podcast, make sure you do that now so that you don't miss any of the installments in this June deep dive into attachment. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to connect with me today and for caring for kids impacted by trauma. I am so, so, so grateful for you. If you're new here, hit subscribe to the podcast in your podcast player, and then head over to robingobel.com slash masterclass, where you can watch a free three-part video series on what behavior really is and how to change it. Please take a moment to share this podcast with your colleagues, friends, grandparents, teachers, anyone, everyone. The sooner the whole world understands the neurobiology of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, the sooner our kids will live in a world that sees them for who they really are. Completely amazing kids who sometimes struggle. You guys notice that what I'm talking about is shifting the inner working models of everyone. So we can see ourselves and our kids as amazing people who sometimes struggle. Thanks for tuning in today. I will see you next time. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what? If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory 
so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you could just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.